Listener supported. WNYC Studios. This is Every Voice with Terrence McKnight. It's a new podcast from WQXR that interrogates the culture of our classical music scene, and we look at ways to make it beautiful for all of us. In this series, we're talking about representations of blackness in opera. And today, we're talking about Giuseppe Verdi's Otello. Othello. 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 This is a character who um, faces a unique kind of human dilemma. Professor Uzi Brown, Jr. Jealousy is something that plagues this man. My understanding of Othello is a one that is gullible. Bass Kevin Maynard. And can be fooled easily. His ego can be easily bruised. He gets duped by some bullshit with a, with a handkerchief. Are you kidding me? It looks good, but it's not good. First and foremost, he's a moron. That's right. First and foremost, Otello is a moron. He represented those Africans who, for 800 years, up until around the year 1500, they ruled, they developed agriculture, science, education, and the arts in the area of the world now known as Spain. So when the Moors were expelled from Spain by Christians, they were forced to leave the area or convert to Christianity. Shakespeare was writing for an audience at that moment. This is theater and opera director Peter Sellers. He was writing this topic because they were right in the teeth of colonialism. Colonialism was being invented in their generation. And so, yes, they were seeing African people coming back on ships and stuff. So, yes, they were dealing with it very directly. And it's a very alive topic. So Shakespeare wrote about a man who had been enslaved, converted to Christianity, joined the Venetian army, ascended to the ranks of general, married a Venetian socialite. This guy was living what some would consider the American dream long before America. But of course, that story couldn't end there. With a free black man marrying a white woman and living free and happily ever after. That was counter to the politics and social agenda of the 17th and 19th centuries. When Verdi's Otello came to America in 1888, interracial marriage was unlawful in most places. And the idea of the free black man represented someone to fear. The New York Age, Thursday, February 17th, 1910. Big black burly brute. Four white men, not many weeks ago, were confined at one time in the jails of Georgia for assaults upon white women. In each case, the white man attempted the unmentionable crime while blacked up as a Negro. In each community, a mob of infuriated, proud Caucasians quickly gathered at the behest of flaming headlines of the local press to hunt down the big black burly brute and to avenge the womanhood of their race. But the thin veneer of burnt corpse... Seeking a black brute. Chattanooga, Tennessee, April 11. News comes from Iuka, Mississippi, 
that 500 people are armed and scouring the country in search of a Negro named Johnson, who on Thursday night entered the house of James Thompson during his absence and brutally assaulted his wife. The lady is 60 years old and will probably die of the shock and injuries received at the hands of the brute. Johnson will be hanged by the excited people if caught. The New York Times, published April 12, 1885. Now get this. In 1888, the Euro Tunnel came to New York. 69 black people, mainly men, were lynched in America. In Virginia alone, 26 black men were lynched between 1880 and 1897. Now, those are just the reported numbers. In reality, they were certainly much higher. In the 19th century, 38 states had miscegenation laws. These were statutes that criminalized interracial marriage and relationships. They were trying to prevent the mixture of what was considered inferior and superior races. But that number grew in the 20th century. In total, 41 states had enacted anti-miscegenation laws at one time or another. In Georgia, I think it was 1869, a court ruled that the offspring of intermarriage are generally sickly and effeminate and are inferior in physical development and strength to the full blood of either race. This was the climate that Otello was presented in in America. So Verdi's Otello really sounded the public fire alarm it signaled the danger of the free black man. The thinking was, given complete freedom, these men pretend to love Jesus, and they take up arms, and then they run off with our daughters. There goes the neighborhood. So we got to monitor them and contain them. So Othello is a very strange animal. I can't stand that play. I hated it for years, and I got into a huge, huge, huge argument with Toni Morrison. We spent three and a half hours one day, just going around about it. And she said, no, it's not about him. It's about Iago. This is the language they are still using to promote fascism in this country. This is the language they are still using, the suggestion, the not upfront, the, the coded racist language. In fact, all of the racism is only you know, made possible by a complicity of silence. And for people who know perfectly well what the truth is and are not going to say it in public. That's why it's important for us as a people to come together, right? Talk about... Hey, I'm Peter Sellers, and you're listening to Every Voice with the one and only Terrence McKnight. Peter Sellers. Remember that argument he said he had with the late, great Toni Morrison? Well, their conversation turned into a collaboration, which resulted in a play called Desdemona, which was written by Toni Morrison. Soprano actor Mary Beth Diggle is going to be here when we come back, and she's going to tell us all about it. I promise you, you don't want to miss this. This is Every Voice with Terrence McKnight. Movies, music, celebrities making bad choices. Crooked Media's weekly podcast, Keep It, has it all. Each week, culture experts Ira Madison III and Louis Vertel unpack the latest controversies, praise character actress appreciation, and share all the gossip in a week. Expect bold and unique queer commentary, award show grievances, and iconic guests like Billy Porter, Michelle Yeoh, Ariana DeBose, and Cheryl Lee Ralph. New episodes of Keep It drop every Wednesday, wherever you get your podcasts. 
Later on, well into the 20th century, you have publications that continue this caricature. Publications like Troubled Heritage, Beauty Beast, How Sleeps the Beast, Betty Page. There were comic strips and movies that did the same. The most well-known is Birth of a Nation, a film that was screened in the White House in 1915 with President Woodrow Wilson members of his family, members of the cabinet. The film had white actors in blackface, portraying black men as ignorant, animalistic, and sexually craven. They were a menace to society. And so with that caricature that was so propagandized, depicting the black man as a brute, black humanity was always in question. And so Otello is a great example of that brute. He's insecure, he's jealous, full of rage, and a threat to white womanhood. So in the opera, Otello gives his wife a handkerchief as a memento, as a symbol of his love for her. Now Iago, his colleague and nemesis, knew about this handkerchief, and he probably knew what it meant to Otello. And wanting to bring Otello down, Iago convinced his wife, who was Desdemona's maid, to steal it from Desdemona. We already know how Iago feels about Otello and Desdemona, but listen to this guy talk about his own wife. Yeah, she's a good wife. She cooks, she takes care of things, she got the house in order. I don't, you know, she's, she has no idea who really I am. Doesn't, you know. She doesn't know who I am. She's got no idea. She'll find out. Doesn't matter. She'll run. She'll go. Doesn't matter. I don't, at this point, man, I just, I live inside myself. What he wanted to do ultimately was bring Otello down. He stated that. He wanted him dead. And he knew that that handkerchief had special significance to him and Desdemona. So he had his wife steal it. So he could plant the handkerchief with another man to make it appear that Desdemona had been spending intimate time with someone else. His plan worked, and that's when Otello lost it, became unreasonably upset, irrational. That little handkerchief represented everything to him. And by the way, that handkerchief wasn't white. It was black. So this handkerchief that Otello became so enraged about was a black handkerchief. And it was connected to his heritage. The heritage that he had to publicly distance himself from just in order to live in Venetian society. But having people play games with that handkerchief was like playing games with his mama. 
and you know that's not happening. In the day of Shakespeare, to dye clothing black was very difficult and precious. And the way they did it was by dyeing the fabric together with mummified bodies. Mary Beth Diggle is someone who has played and sung the role of Desdemona in the play and in the opera. In England, in the 16th century, when they ran out of mummified bodies, they would mummify enslaved people's bodies. And so we come to understand in the play of Toni Morrison that Othello receives this handkerchief from the woman who raised him, which was dyed black. So that further explains why he was so enraged about that handkerchief. Yes, if you play it as a white handkerchief, yes. And if it's a black handkerchief, then it really is a, a slap in the face, of course, because it is such a personal item for him. It's not just a handkerchief. It's not just a, a thing to wipe your brow. It has familial, historical value and also tells a lot about the personal past of his race. But over the years, when you go to a performance of Othello today, the handkerchief is, is white. And I think it's so fascinating because it, it, it's literally whitewashing the most important piece of evidence. And it is literally whitewashing <laughs> Othello's body. I, I feel the handkerchief is related to Othello. And originally, I think he knows the meaning of this black piece of fabric, and it would have been performed in Shakespeare's day as a black handkerchief. Which maybe comes back to your question about Shakespeare's political wishes to speak about race. I guess we'll never know, but I think it's important to say that he understood the significance of this handkerchief being black. And over the years of European directors directing this piece, the handkerchief became Desdemona's body by becoming white and washed away the history with it. This piece of history. How long will you pay the price if you don't acknowledge that you are wrong? In this podcast, we bring the past into the present, the stage into the streets where we all walk, live, work, and love together trying to make things more beautiful for all of us. This is Every Voice with Terrence McKnight. And thanks so much to Mary Beth Diggle, Thomas Hampson, Lemmy Pulliam, Peter Sellers, Uzi Brown, and Kevin Manor for joining us in this episode. Voice with Terrence McKnight was written and produced by Terrence McKnight, David Norville, and Tony Phillips. Our research team includes Ariel Elizabeth Davis, Pranati Diwakar, Ian George, and Jazz Ogist. This episode's sound design and engineering was by Alan Gofinski, and our original music is composed by Brother Jeremy Thomas, featuring Dr. Ashley Jackson on harp and Brother Titos Sampa 
on percussion and vocals. Our project manager is Natalia Ramirez, and our executive producer is Tony Phillips. The executive producer for WQXR Podcast is Elizabeth Nanamaker, and Ed Yem is the chief content officer at WQXR. This project is supported in part by the National Endowment for the Arts. You can find more information on the web at arts.gov. And thanks to the Met Archives for invaluable research data and a huge amount of gratitude to Livermore Valley Opera for sharing their performance of Otello, conducted by Alexander Katzman, featuring Elaine Alvarez as Desdemona and our main man, Lemmy Pulliam, as Otello. If you enjoyed this episode, please take time to rate it, rate us, review us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. I'm Terrence McKnight. I'll see you next time. You're listening to Every Voice with Terrence McKnight. The living room is where you make life's most beautiful memories. But your sofa shouldn't be the one remembering them. The new life-resistant, high-performance furniture collection from Ashley is designed to withstand all the spills, slip-ups, and muddy paws that come with the best parts of life. Ashley high-performance sofas and recliners are soft, on-trend, and easy to clean. Shop the high-performance furniture in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home.